Cover your nipples, ladies, because the freak is loose. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is that? That's it, baby. This month on The Girls Who Cried Be Horror, we are discussing Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak. I mean, my nipples are hard, I'll be honest. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. Welcome. (laughs) Well, I'm Alex. I'm Anya. And you're listening to Two Bitches Talk About Horror. I can't. (laughs) The nipple thing is taking me out. I'm so glad. Oh my god. That's a lot. This month, we are talking about the 1995 underrated classic in my opinion castle freak um which you know we were i've been wanting to do castle freak for a while but mm-hmm. there's a remake that just came out dropped on shutter at the end of the year in 2020 and we were really just waiting for that because if that's an incredible film i'm gonna want to talk about it and i wanted to make sure that we had them back to back if it's trash then i'm gonna be sad but you know I mean, I feel like even if it's a it's an okay film, we could even have an interesting discussion just how it compares. But yeah, if we both sit through it and we're like, you know, that took years off my life. I don't want to take any more years off our life by having to then discuss it. That's a very good point. Um, so yeah, I guess I know that we've both seen this film before, but yes. I would love to hear your take on your experience watching it. Experience watching Castle Freak. All right, so um, – This was one that I watched, I would say, maybe a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. I don't remember entirely, but I watched it on Joe Bob's Last Drive-In. Love you, King. Um, And I, I didn't dislike it. When I watched it, it's also, if, you, if you're familiar with Joe Bob and The Last Drive-In, when he does these, they get, you don't watch them like, okay, you know, 95 minutes front to back. It gets broken up as if you were watching it on TV with commercials, except instead of commercials, you have Joe Bob and like his commentary and his fun facts and his bits or whatever. And I enjoy it, but also then it makes whatever movie you're watching take longer. So I think this movie, the pacing is like really like slow. It's a slow build for a lot of it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So then having that broken up with Joe Bob really made it drag for me. So the first time I watched it, I didn't hate it. I didn't care for it. I didn't really care about it. The second time I just watched it for this podcast, I watched it yesterday with um, actually the hosts of our sister podcast, Dearly Departed. Um, It was a fun experience, fun little night in, as if every night isn't a fucking night in currently. I don't know why the hell I said that. Jesus. You know, now it's just going out in the town during a pandemic. Um, But... I definitely, I think I had a greater appreciation for it, um, especially because, like, it's always so fun with, like, some of the scenes, especially in this movie, when, like, people who haven't seen it don't know what's coming, and then they're absolutely horrified. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, That's really enjoyable. But once again, I don't know. Something about it doesn't work for me, and there's definitely Stuart Gordon movies I love. Obviously, we've done Dolls on here. Loved Dolls. Um, Also a fan of Reanimator. But yeah, I don't know. Something about Castle Freak, I think maybe because it strays away from his normal, like, very campy, very tongue-in-cheek style, mm-hmm. this is so dark that there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's probably a reason why you like it. Um, but I don't know. Something about it, it's almost, like, too disturbed for me. I'm like, oh, Christ. I just feel like I need to go, like, lie in the fetal position in the shower. Oh, yeah. I love I love a good disturbing film. The more disturbing, the better, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I watched this film for the first time 
at the same time as you because for Mm -hmm. people who don't know I have a sickness and I can never decide what movie to watch so I've kind of just started making Anya provide me with lists of horror movies that she has watched and then I'm like amazing I have a syllabus and I'm just gonna watch these movies so that's what I do now a lot of the time um and I think this was probably on Mm -hmm. one of your very first ones that you gave me so I watched it I think so I I went into it not knowing anything and I I do agree that the pacing is very slow it's very um it really takes its time um but I was so Mm -hmm. intrigued by the like sexual disturbing elements to the film the first time I watched it that Uh really stuck with me and there was one prosthetic practical effect that really stuck with me and it was like all I could really remember going into it this time Mm -hmm. and you know I mean I think I I rated it a half star lower this time when I watched it but I still really enjoy it I think yeah it's very different than the other Stuart Gordon films I've seen because they're they're always very tongue-in-cheek very campy very funny um but this is a lot grittier and it's a lot more, you know, slowed down. It's more about like familial drama and like an, your internal struggle of like who you are. Um, so I, I feel like it's grounded a lot more in reality, even though it's like about a freak. Um, right. So I really appreciate what it does. I just think you have to be in the right mindset for this because it, it, the pacing is very slow. But the moments when they hit, I think they hit really hard. I mean, yeah, there's definitely moments in this film that I, like, enjoyed or, like, as a horror fan, I appreciated. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, overall the experience doesn't quite come together for me to make this one that I love. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I know that it's a very underrated and underseen film. I think a lot of people who have seen it really, really love it and they, you know, view it as, like, one of Gordon's best. But I also know people who, you know, they don't really care for it because it's not, like as wild and outrageous as reanimator or from beyond or something like that so actually what i heard is that the remake is more sexually depraved than the original how i literally do not know because obviously we haven't watched it yet um i'm probably gonna end up watching it this week probably maybe at some point Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's one of those things where it's like how when once you've seen this movie you're like how but at the same time it's like there is also so much horror today and it's something that we've praised before but also it comes with its setbacks where it's like where they're more lenient with you know not giving shit nc-17 kind of you can put almost anything in a horror film now and mm-hmm. it won't get cut or left on the cutting room floor um it almost is like okay so we can do anything right anything and you're like yeah anything and then they like literally like push it so far where i'm like as horror fans, I think we both feel this way. There isn't a lot you can do that will make me go, what the fuck? Why would you do that? Like, obviously there's stuff, you know, like, as we've talked about, like, I don't need an unnecessary rape in a film mm-hmm. or stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. It almost makes me, it intrigues me because I'm like, well, I have to know, right? I have to know how it hits worse or more depraved. But at the same time, it, it makes me nervous because I'm like, I really don't want to be traumatized. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of, you know, the extreme horrors, like, shits like martyrs and you know all those movies and like i don't love a lot of what i see but i am used to it it's horror i get it um but i think and i can see exactly where they're probably gonna go with the remake but i think that's what i like so much about the original because even though it is very sexually depraved and very like disturbing to watch i feel like he always stops right at the line before it crosses it for me where i'm like 
oh, please don't do that. And then he doesn't do it. And I go, okay, thank you for not taking it that far. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, there's one scene that's like obviously very graphic and we will get into it. But I feel like a lot with like the daughter, it could really take itself to another level that it doesn't. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. So I feel like maybe in the remake they will take it there because they want to be more extreme and they want to be more, you know, graphic. But I think it might take away from the overall film for me personally but we'll see i'm probably gonna watch it maybe tonight honestly i think the remake doesn't follow a family though i think it's like a group of friends at the castle uh, well, you know what? I, think, I think you're correct. right yeah so, also just a quick disclaimer mm-hmm. for anyone listening sorry alex um you know greg our wonderful editor i'm sure will cut most of it out but i am back in my apartment in los angeles and the people that live above me are the worst in the sense that they're always like I think mud wrestling or <laughs> moving furniture or just committing atrocious physical crimes against each other because they it sounds like they're physically going to come through the fucking ceiling all the time and they're just screaming and yelling so if that catches on any of the audio I'm sorry you guys um I can't do anything about it anywho continue what you were saying oh no uh, I'm done with my thought I mean if you want to give our listeners a brief summary of the film and then we can get into some fun facts oh yeah i would love some facts about this one well quickly as we always do before i even give you this you know brief synopsis if you want to watch it oh yes it is available on shutter and it is available on tubi with ads if you are not a shutter subscriber it is also which available is always... on prime it is okay yes. i didn't know that um is that where you watched it no i watched it on shutter but as we were recording i googled it because i forgot to do it <laughs> Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, so, okay. Premise of Castle Freak follows essentially this family. Um, it stars one of Stuart Gordon's favorite, Jeffrey Combs, as well as Barbara Crampton. They're a married couple in this one, very different from their roles in Reanimator. Um, and essentially, he's inherited this castle from his aunt, who was a duchess, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so they move in with their daughter, who is blind. Um, and essentially, you know... They move in, you know, spoiler, there's a freak living in the the dungeons in the basement of the castle, and we kind of learn, like, so there's that dilemma of, like, oh, the freak is loose now in the castle, and, like, you know, he stays hidden for most of the film, so, of course, it's, like, someone's in the castle with us, but they can't ever prove it, and blah, blah, and he, like, isn't, you know, infatuated with the daughter, but the whole overarching thing is this storyline of, like, family, because we learned that they actually used to also have a son who died in this horrible car crash because Jeffrey Combs was drunk driving and the son unbuckled the seatbelt this whole yada 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 so the son dies in the car crash the daughter gets glass in her eyes which makes her blind um and you know the wife barbara crampton kind of wants to leave him but she's like just with him on this journey essentially so they can like liquidate the castle and take the money and move on with their lives um so like he's trying to repair his marriage and his family but she's very resistant to it all while obviously this freak is on the loose creating problems and then the whole big twist or ending is that um jeffrey comes finds out that it's so complicated that his father was and his mother his mother is how he's related to this castle owning woman because his mother her sister was the woman that owned the (laughs) castle but he finds out that his father originally fucked the woman that owns the castle had a kid with her left them married her sister and who then became his mom and stayed with Jeffrey Combs so the castle freak is his half brother Mm -hmm. um and it all comes to a climax where you know 
he has to fight to save his family from the castle freak and they both essentially very you know I don't even know like very King Kong twas beauty who killed the beast they essentially both kill each other falling off the castle and you know very ends on a somber note and that is castle freak in the quickest nutshell I could put it in very good amazing thank Um, you okay so to get into some fun facts I will say that I did a lot of research on this and there's not a ton of information about the movie other than information on like the cast and like the crew Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't a ton on production itself, so I'm going to focus mostly on the people who made the movie. Okay. So, as you've already made note in our episode, this is our second Stuart Gordon film that we're doing, the first one being Dolls, which I think mm-hmm. is fun. This is our first repeat director. Um, mm. I also want to say R.I.P. because he did pass away last March, um, which is a bummer. A king. Yes. A true horror king. He was iconic. Um, But Stuart Gordon, a lot like, you know, Scorsese or Wes Anderson or Tarantino, he really loved to work with the same people because he developed relationships and they grew to get to know each other and they had an excellent working relationship. So as you already said, this movie stars Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, who he has done, he did three films with, I believe. He may have done a fourth after this. I'm not positive, but they did Reanimator, From Beyond, and now... Uh, Castle Freak. So they all like really knew each other going into it. They felt safe. They felt comfortable. Um, it was also written by Dennis Paoli, who again wrote Reanimator, wrote From Beyond. And this is not a Stuart Gordon film, but I do love it. He wrote The Dentist, which if you haven't seen, check out The Fucking Dentist. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then yet again, this is very loosely based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Outsider, which a lot of Stuart Gordon films are based on Lovecraft stories. Um, this one is very right. much just like the story of The Outsider was like a man who has been trapped, sees his reflection, and has to come to terms with like who he is. And that was pretty much it. So they really took that and they kind of rolled with it. Also, the man who did all the prosthetics and practical effects for this movie um, was named John Vulich, I believe that's how you say it. And he is a He's pretty big in that, uh, you know, that area. He worked on movies like Dawn, Day of the Dead. He worked on the Buffy Vampire Slayer TV show. Um, and he worked on your favorite movie, The Lost Boys. Ah! I know. We love to bring up The Lost Boys. I know. Thank you, you for that fact. You're welcome. And also, a fun fact I didn't know was that the creature makeup in this film was the inspiration for Victor Crowley and Hatchet. That tracks... That yeah. makes a lot of sense. They do look very similar. I mean, Victor Crowley's a lot, like, bigger and more physical. This guy's, like, real I mean, he's played scrawny. by fucking Kane Hodder. Yeah. He has to be. Yeah, he is. Um, well, that's a good transition. So, speaking of Kane Hodder. Um, oh. Not really, but um, the guy <laughs> who played the freak was named Jonathan Fuller. Um, he is an, yet another actor who has worked with Gordon quite a lot. He was the romantic lead in his film The Pit and the Pendulum. Um but he really really wanted to do something different and he wanted to play the freak and you know he wanted to do all of the you know physical movements and stuff so not to throw any shade at like people like Kane Hodder who are stuntmen who do you know the creature Jason whatever because they do an amazing job but I don't I find I find something more compelling when an actor does it like Robert England being Freddy Krueger like no one else could do that and so Jonathan Fuller taking on that role and putting that six hours of prosthetics on every day 
I feel like it really works because the way he physically moves is so gross and terrifying like the way he like jumps out of the shadows fully nude just like makes my skin crawl and I love it very much um, well it makes me think of uh Doug Jones yes I, mean, oh, I love Doug Jones the work that he's done you know just for fucking Guillermo del Toro alone like mm-hmm. yeah he's like it's I know it's rare at this point that you see him just playing himself. He's usually always in some prosthetics or some suit. But it, I think he almost perfectly dances that line of like he's not a stunt actor. I wouldn't consider him, although maybe he considers himself that. He's very much like an he's like the, a character actor, but like to the highest degree, like fully being like a strange, otherworldly character, like having to get in prosthetics. And I just think, like, what he brings to films is just so incredible, which is obviously why, like, he gets used for this type of shit over and over and over again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think Jonathan Fuller did much, like, this kind of work again, but I think he did an amazing job. He lost a lot of weight for it, so he could really, you know, come across as somebody who has been trapped in a cell for his entire life. And I think it. Mm-hmm. he looks great. It's very creepy, very... Uh, you know emaciated um yeah but that's what I really like about what that the fact that Stuart Gordon works with all of these actors multiple times because I feel like when you have a group where you feel so comfortable and safe you can really take those opportunities to show the different sides that you have as an actor because like I know in Reanimator both Barbara Crampton and um Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs are like over the top and like funny and weird and wild and then Mm -hmm. in this film they get to take a more serious tone where like Barbara Crampton acts acts her fucking ass off in this movie she is like giving it I think you know Jeffrey Combs as much as I love him he I was saying this to Greg he went to the Nicolas Cage school of overacting but maybe it's the Jeffrey Combs school of overacting that Nicolas Cage attended I'm not really quite sure no it's it's the latter (laughs) yeah he's just like he's he's very over the top um well I think the issue is that's so interesting you bring that up because mm-hmm. when you think of Jeffrey Combs in something like Reanimator, right? Where like he's in theory, I guess, overacting if you want to call it that. But it you wouldn't want that role done any other way, mm-hmm. right? Like you, he's playing a mad scientist, so be fucking crazy. Which no, how, I don't know if there is one, but if there isn't, why is there no Nicolas Cage mad scientist movie? There probably is. I don't know. I feel like the bo- the closest we might get is, like, the fucking Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, God. Um, I can't think of anything where he plays a mad scientist, specifically. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but it's so interesting because, like, almost in a role where he does that, like, to me, I'm like, oh, he's doing a good job, right? Where, like, strangely enough, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that disagree with me, and I, I mean absolutely no shade toward Sir Nicolas Cage. But obviously there's some Nicolas Cage roles, right, where he does the crazy bit. And it works. But I feel like now, like, his whole thing is, like, doing a lot of, you know, what probably some people consider bad movies. Mm-hmm. And just doing, like, the crazy cage rage shit of just, like, you know, whatever. Just, like, being unhinged. And you love it as a Nicolas Cage fan because you're like, this guy's fucking insane. I don't know that you love it because you're like, wow, he's actually giving, like, a really, like, <laughs> great performance in this role. It's a great performance in the sense that, like, I'm entertained. I'm having a great time. I'm sure he's having a fucking great time. And you know what? As long as he's getting his check, I'm happy for him. But, like, it's that weird balance of, like, if you ask me do I think Jeffrey Combs, like, legitimately does a good job in Reanimator, yes, I do. Like, not even being funny or cutesy about it. Where, like, if you ask me, like, you know, does Nicolas Cage do a good job in, like, 
literally pick anything. Like, that's not true, actually. He does a good job in a lot of movies. I don't know why I said that. That was so rude. Um, Smite me down, God. But, like, something like, you know... I don't even want to say Face Off, because honestly, I think just, like, Face Off is a shitty movie, but, like, he serves in Face Off. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. I can't think of the top of my head. But, like, you know, a, a movie where he's doing Nicolas Cage, pretty much. Mom and he's Dad. He's not really playing a character. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, I don't know. It's really interesting. They definitely are comparable in that sense, I feel mm-hmm. like, where it's, like, you know. Especially because I feel like, you know, Nicolas Cage has done a handful of horror. So yeah, he has. He's especially a horror king in his own right. Yeah, I mean, color out of space, y'all. I'm not fucking kidding you. That movie is so good. Um, but yeah, yeah. Really but yeah, I feel like, yeah, because Stuart Gordon, not Stuart Gordon, um, yeah, Jeffrey Combs really, he does play, like, the over-the-top mad scientist, but I love that, you know, he could have so easily, after that role, been typecast as, like, the wacky, crazy doctor guy, you know? But Stuart Gordon was like, mm-hmm. no, I want you to play the depressed, alcoholic father who is desperate to get his family back together and it's who's also kind of like a horn dog like right. he, he gives that range i mean he, the fact that he put jonathan fuller in a movie as a romantic lead and then he was like okay next movie you're gonna be an emaciated sexually depraved freak that attacks women amazing great you can do both yeah so yeah i just i really love that group i think they're wonderful i think that i love you know a director that will you know continuously give people work that they love and trust and know will do a good job and they'll create like a family in that sense um so yeah that's all i think it's kind of sorry um i think it's almost kind of heartwarming when you see stuff like that especially because like in general like hollywood the industry or the fuck you want to call it feels very like soulless Mm. and you know not to say that there aren't good people in it because there are but also it also feels like a lot of the time people in Hollywood are like the way they portray us is not how it is like it's almost like they're backpedaling too hard right like they're like we're good people no we're not like that and it's like I don't believe you <laughs> I just I just don't believe you because I'm not seeing it so it's almost just like you know in an industry where like it's very cutthroat it's very like you know one slip up and you're out like you could fall behind your last week's news just like you know For so many people, like, dreams are made here, but for so many people, like, dreams are destroyed, Um, which is, you know, always circles around in my head and keeps me up at night, obviously. Um, But I think just, like, the knowledge of shit where it's, like, obviously there's, there's, you know, relationships, like, people like Wes Anderson and maybe, you know, Owen Wilson, who, like, went to college together, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's, like, a longstanding, like, they were together even before they were big. But even relationships where, like, you're talking about where, like, creatives have come together and been like, I really like you. And like you're saying, like, you're my little family. So you think about shit like Stuart Gordon and Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs. Or, like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese. Or, you know, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Mm, Like, you know, those relationships, they're almost when you see it. Like, you can make fun of it. You can be like, oh, yeah, obviously he's in this movie. But I don't know. To me, it's almost like regardless of how I feel about the movie, the performers, whatever, it's just, like, nice to see. Because it's like, yeah, that just feels like a genuine relationship. Like, I just, like, believe that those two, like, clearly like each other like I, I you have to imagine like yeah obviously they bring them back on because they're like well I on a just a creative level on a professional level you do good work um but also it's like if you were on a set with somebody and they you know gave you the best performance of their life but they were like a fucking cunt right and you hated them I cannot imagine you would ask them back so it's just like knowing that like they probably have really genuine connections as well which I feel like in life probably is hard to find for a lot of people but just like especially in the industry it just like gives it a sense of humanity to me if that makes sense 
Yeah, I also feel like when you, I, I really like to see it because I feel like if you're someone who's working with a director over and over and over again, then you know each other so well and the director is going to know exactly how to get the best performance out of you and they know exactly what how to motivate you, what notes to give you, how to push you in the right way. I feel like you can just get the best performances when you really know each other on like a deep level, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on from the cast, um, so the location of this movie was set in an actual Italian castle that is owned by the president of the production company Full Moon Productions, who, which is a company that Stuart Gordon worked with a lot. Um, his name is mm-hmm. Charles Band, and he, he owned this castle, and he loved it, and he wanted to make a lot of movies there because then they wouldn't have to pay a location fee, and I'm sure he also wanted to, like, show off his fucking castle, so... They made Pit and the Pendulum there, they made Castle Freak there, and they just shot the new 2020 Castle Freak at the same location, Um, which I think is really fun. I would love to hang out in a fucking Italian castle. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool just be able to, like, own a castle in general, and then, like, oh, I own a castle, we can make movies there, which also, you know, brings up a huge point in the movie of just, like, these motherfuckers get a castle, right? Like, and the first thing they want to do is, like, sell it. Like, how can we liquidate this? And it's, like you ungrateful motherfucking bastards the way that I would if I just like I don't care what I was doing bro and maybe I'm saying this because we're in a pandemic and I have literally no job prospects and I like am crumbling inward on myself but I'm cute while I'm doing it so it doesn't matter right um if someone randomly was like hey um actually your aunt was a duchess she died um don't worry about the freak in the basement but um we're giving you this castle you know in Italy okay now I live in Italy like you know what I'm saying like I'm moving my life I live there now. Why? There's no scenario where I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm going to go, you know, clean out the shit. What can I sell? Come back. <laughs> Come back to what? My little tiny LA apartment with no job? Bitch. Yeah, but Goodbye. if you sell the castle, you're going to have a ton of money. You can go buy a castle anywhere you want. You buy a mansion in LA. That's not true, though, because the castle has to be for, like, how many castles are actually for sale? Someone might know, and they might be, like, a lot. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of money. But, like, what, like... Getting a castle that's probably really old and has such, like, wonderful history and you're in a beautiful place. Like, I'm sorry, I'm living there. And especially in their circumstances where, like, their family's falling apart. At the very least, if I was Jeffrey Combs and I'm like, okay, either, like, my family will love me again because I'm giving the castle. Or if it's clear that, like, this, you know, marriage family is, like, falling apart, it's not going to come back together. Okay, they can go back to the fucking U.S. And now I'm going to be a bachelor in a castle in fucking Italy. I'm going to live in these 120 bedrooms all by myself. You better fucking believe it, bitch. <laughs> like, I'll well, fucking, I'll start my own haunted mansion. Like, I don't give a shit. You can come live with me. You and Greg can come live in a bedroom. I don't give a fuck. Thank you. Oh, my God, maybe. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah. So, while filming, they, uh, and I believe they did it for the 2020 remake as well, the cast just lived in the castle when they were filming. So, instead of having to, like, go back to their trailer or their hotel room, they just, like, went to their bedroom in the castle which I i'm sure that. made it feel like even more realistic for that for their characters because they're actually living in the location that they're filming in so that's super fun and i'm i had read in fangoria that even though barbara crampton is not in the remake she was a producer on the film and so she went to the castle while they filmed and she gave everyone like advice and insight and she would watch the scenes and she would give everyone notes and she was just like a mother figure there for everybody because she wanted to make sure that the the new film that was made represented the original in the best way that it could so i have a lot of 
hope in that sense that she was like there on set she was speaking her mind she was making sure that shit got done correctly so i love that we love barbara no Um, i mean well to offer two things you just said i mean with barbara like once mm -hmm. again like uh, we we're not saying this for the first time and we're not the first people to say it like fucking literal one of the biggest scream queens to ever be like she's an icon she's a horror legend but it's just so once again and i'm sure as women we feel this specifically but you know as we've talked about we've brought up barbara a few times obviously on this podcast but you know we've talked about like shit where it's like she's talked about where you know she's had to do roles in the past where it's like if she wanted to get work she had to be naked and that's very true of the horror genre um and stuff like that where it's like i just love how she's so fucking talented and she thrived as an actress in the horror community and now so many years later she didn't just like you know okay she's not just a and there's nothing wrong with this but she's not just a convention queen right where she goes to conventions and like you know oh, i remember you from the 80s and blah blah blah. she still does that shit but she's paving an even a, a, she continues to pave a path for herself in the horror genre and the industry because now she's moved into stuff like producing and directing and shit like that and i just think that's so incredible and I love that, yes, she had a hand in this because I'm sure it was wonderful for her to go back and visit that castle, right? That she was, you know, filmed a huge horror film mm-hmm. in. And, you know, to be a part of something that pays homage to a director that obviously she worked so closely with. Like, I don't know. I just think that she's so fantastic. And she just really, I've never obviously spoken with her or met her. But she just gives me good energy. Like, I feel like she does give me kind of that, like, that cool mom vibe where, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure if I was ever blessed to be on a film set with her, I would just feel safe. I would be in awe. My jaw would be on the fucking floor. I'd be like, Barbara Crampton, what? And like losing my mind. But like, yeah, those people are so lucky that they just, they're so lucky that they get to work with her. And I'm just so proud of everything that she does. Even if I don't like the shit that she does. I'm just like, look at her fucking killing it still. Just look at her go. Yeah, she really seems like a delightful woman. I would love to meet her. Um but since you brought up the fact that she gets naked quite a lot in her films, um, there is one moment in this movie where she opens her blouse and yeah. you see her boobs. I mean, I really was expecting to see them, like, a lot more based on what I was mm-hmm. reading. But, like, it's very small. Like, a small glimpse. Like, you barely see them. Um, but originally, they wanted her, of course, to get fully naked in that scene. And she said, bitch, this castle is fucking cold. I am not doing that. And they said, Okay. <laughs> good for her so she just like opened her blouse and then ran um but the last little bit of info i have for you is just that when this film was being made it didn't have really a script or any kind of you know actual work done on it they just had a poster and they had the title castle freak and charles band said to Stuart gordon do you want to make this movie it's a you know you got to call it castle freak and I want you to do it in the, in the castle. That's all I got. You can do whatever you want with it. So he really had free reign here. And when they got to the castle, a lot of it really wasn't established yet. So they had all of the actors, you know, write their own personal short stories in the like vein of Lovecraft. They had them like bounce ideas off of each other and they used ideas that people came up with. So they kind of just created the film as a group, as a unit together in the castle, which I think is so fun and so amazing. Like, not only do you get to be in this movie, but you have, like, a hand in creating the story. It's so fucking cool. Um, and it was only made for $500,000, which, I mean, to me sounds like a lot of money, but for a big, you know, studio production is nothing. Um, and it was a straight-to-video release, but 
Doing that allowed them to bypass the MPAA regulations. And so Gordon was able to have like an unrated version where he could really have any cut that he wanted, which is why it's so graphic, especially for like 95. Um, So if he had wanted it to be a theatrical release, he absolutely would not have been able to show a lot of the stuff that he showed. So even though it went straight to video and obviously didn't get as big of an audience right away, it has very much become a cult classic. It got really good reviews when it was seen by the people that did see it. So overall, it was very much a successful film. And I mean, it clearly stands the test of time if they're remaking it. You know, you don't really remake trash films. You remake like classics. I fucking wish they remade trash. That's my fucking issue. It's like, <laughs> I r- wish they fucking remade trash film. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, yeah. it, it's the mentality of like, well, this movie, right? Everyone loves this movie. It's a classic. If we remake it, well, it worked one time, it'll work again. Or sometimes I'm like, I know that you're going to piss, you have to know you're going to piss people off by doing this. So you're just going to, you know, you're just going to draw a crowd on the basis of people are going to see this to be mad. Me, I'm one of those people. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, you, you fucking wish that it's like, okay, here's a horror movie, right? That maybe had a good concept, right? Or even just a good fucking poster or a good name. And you watch it, it's trash, but it's from like 30, 40 years ago. And you're like, okay, so who do I have to put this in front of? So they'll remake this and make it good this time. I would love to watch a, a remake that I that I think blows the original out of the water. Like, That's true. And I'd be fine. I have no problem admitting it if it does. But it's just like, no, they're always going to remake shit like fucking Poltergeist. How fucking dare you guys? Sam Rockwell, how dare you do that to me? Jesus. Um... But a few things you talked about, mm-hmm. you were you were really on a tangent there, so I didn't want to stop your flow. Um, but a few things that you brought up. One, you obviously brought up um, the fact that they all lived in the castle together. I love that shit. I think that's amazing. Um, it makes me think of, um, this is such a random thing to compare it to, but like Wet Hot American Summer. One of my favorite documentaries of all time is Hurricane of Fun, which is the documentary, why I cannot speak, the documentary they made about making Wet Hot American Summer it just, like, is one of those movies that I put on when I, like, literally... It's, like, a, a safety blanket, weirdly, for me. I don't know why that movie particularly. But they talk about how they, like, when they filmed that movie at the camp, they all lived in the cabins and stayed at the camp. And, like, that's, like, my dream. My dream in life is to make a summer camp movie. I don't care if it's horror or not. But, like, with a bunch of people that I really fucking like, and we stay at the camp while we make it. Like, that is literally my biggest fucking dream. Or at least one of them. Um... Another dream is to touch the animatronic T-Rex from Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> and cradle baby Yoda in my arms. Um, but anyhow, so that, I love that. That just like brings me such joy because it's like summer camp, even though they're in a castle. But then also what you're saying about the fact that like they came together and like, I think I knew the thing about them writing the short stories and stuff like that. I feel like mm-hmm. I might've also read something about that in Fangoria. Um, but uh, once again, it's just a reminder of like how, filmmaking is a team sport yeah and like you know it sucks when you're on a set or whatever you're doing stuff and like people overstep their bounds right like an actor is trying to rewrite shit and it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. relax like because it's you, you never want to like disrespect anybody's work because like everybody's role is important so you don't want to tell somebody to do your job but it is nice when you come together with a group of people and you trust everybody creatively and it can be an experience it's not always going to be this way and it probably shouldn't always be this way, but like, you know, having experience where like, it's like, this is going to be a collaboration fully. Like we're going to create this story from the ground up together is really, really fascinating. Um, and what you said about the poster, I don't know if you remember this um, from our Dolls episode, but that's essentially the same exact story of Dolls. That's true. Yeah. 
is they had like the poster with the fucking eyeballs and they were like make a movie about dolls and you have to tell us essentially that you'll have a scene that resembles the poster in it and you can do whatever the fuck else you want so love that Stuart Gordon has a type of film he likes to do essentially he's like anybody have a cool poster idea I'll make it well I'm pretty sure those are all I think those are all Charles Band productions and he was he's really like into dolls and puppets like he does all the puppet master movies so I think he just had like a collection of posters with titles and he would just be like here make this one and Stuart Gordon worked with him a lot so he would be just like okay I'll take that one next Honestly, I feel like, and you're probably going to disagree because you obviously really like this movie, but, like, the poster for this movie and, like, the tagline are so much better than the actual movie. Like, the poster is, like, really fun. It looks very 80s, as does the whole movie. I forgot it wasn't made in the 80s until I put it on and it said 1995, and I was like, oh, shit, that's right. Um, But then, like, the tagline being hideous, hungry, and loose. (laughs) it's just like ooh, what's gonna happen and then it's like well not a whole lot for you know a good chunk of this he's just like in the shadows and then when shit does happen oh it's happening it's just a lot it might be a lot for you he's hideous hungry and horny honestly dead he's hideous i can't (laughs) fucking castle freak needs to learn consent that's first and foremost okay well we're done with our our fun facts so i feel like we should just dive right into the um the actual movie the movie and specifically i mean i think a big part of this film is all about like the sexual nature of it and you know when the movie ended after i watched it i was like honestly that movie is just about two really fucking horny dudes and then i realized that you know making them be half brothers they kind of mirror each other because they have a lot of the same qualities and like you know it could have been him in the dungeon if he had been you know, the firstborn, you know, left with his aunt. Um, and, you know, I feel like it's kind of almost like a Frankenstein type story where, like, you know, the freak has been isolated his whole life. He doesn't know social norms. He doesn't know how to interact with people. He doesn't even know how to speak, like, a language. He just, like, mumbles. And so he's kind of just mirroring everything that he sees. And, but, But I think that's really where the comparison ends because Frankenstein, you know, well, Frankenstein's monster. I don't want to call him Frankenstein. Um, You know, everything he does, there's no malice behind it. He's just like curious and trying to do things and then people take it the wrong way or he hurts somebody. Whereas I feel like the freak in this movie, he's curious, but he also is a little bit violent because he's been, you know, he grew up with violence. And so that's really all he knows. So I feel he combines what he's seeing and he's trying to learn new things where which makes me want to sympathize with him but he's doing it in such an aggressive and sexual and violent way that I, you know you it's just it's awful i hate to watch it but i also am so intrigued by it right and like different from frankenstein i mean obviously frankenstein lashes out or excuse me excuse me frankenstein's monster <laughs> frankenstein's monster lashes out but like like you're saying like frankenstein's monster is born he isn't his lifespan is not that long where, like, yeah, he's, like, he's, oh, like, curious and all this shit and, like, trying to be innocent and doesn't really know. And so you can really feel for him. Where, like, you're saying Castle Freak, like, it's awful. Like, you know, he was born and then abused immediately because the whole storyline with that is, like, the aunt who the dad left to then marry his sister was so, like, fucking pissed off and, like, you know, went nuts over it that then she decided the story is that she killed their son – but really, she just locked him in the dungeon and beat him and starved him, abused him for his entire life. Um, where, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, he's definitely curious, 
But it's also like if you at all like push away his advances, which are often sexual, um, then there is no like, oh, oh, like innocent, I didn't know. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And not that he talks, but like immediate like him being like, I'm going to fucking rip your titty off. Well, yeah, because I feel like he's he's less human. He's more animalistic. You know, he's just going with his instincts. And if his instinct is, I want to touch that woman's titties, and then she says no, he's not civilized. He doesn't know boundaries. He doesn't know what is, like, okay to do. So, you know, his instinct is to go, well, no, I want to do that. And I'm not at all excusing it. I'm just, you know, that's... There are too many men in this fucking world that are out there acting like motherfucking castle freak. That I can is tell a you that. fact. That is a straight fact. Disgusting. But, like, for instance, the most graphic scene, in my opinion, follows. So, after a drunken night out, uh, Jeffrey Combs' character, whose name is escaping me, hold on. John, of course, the fucking most boring name. Um, John picks up a prostitute and he brings her back to the castle where, you know, they have sex. And the castle freak watches him you know sucking on her titties he watches her him go down on her he watches them have sex so later on in the film when the castle freak takes her with him to his like little lair he's trying to mimic those actions and he's trying to do the same things that he's seen but because he's so violent and aggressive he's doing it in a way that is fucking killing her like eating her boob or like literally eating her out and like we have consuming her it's it's so it's just it's so sexually violent but it's also like so fucking smart to do as a you know a film device because yeah that's what he would do he's just watching his brother well okay we have to talk about this scene because this is the scene of the movie i think for a lot of people like this is the one where when i was watching with abby roberto they i literally had to warn them and i couldn't even fully remember what happened in the scene <laughs> i was just like i'm just gonna tell you guys you might want to prepare yourselves and they're like for what i was like just literally i don't know like just get ready and then even i was like ah, this is a lot, it's a lot. <laughs> um but yeah i mean the whole thing is like he brings a sex worker back and this castle freak is watching them fuck which first of all like fucking um jeffrey combs lasts about three seconds yeah it's excellent like I, i'm like this fucking beautiful woman i mean he i feel like i also am so confused by the scene when he's paying her right afterward because like the whole thing is like he didn't realize she was a sex worker and it's like bud you were never <laughs> taking her home unless you were paying for it um but then i can't tell if it's like he underpays her or he overpays her and she's trying to be like, this is too much. Because then he's like, no, no, just take it. Just take it. Where I'm like, but is she telling you she needs more money? Regardless, she's she's putting up with this shit. And then, yeah, the whole thing of the Castle Freak is he captures her. We don't see her for a hot minute because we're following Jeffrey Combs and his fucking drunk antics. And then she's chained up in the Castle Freak's little dungeon, sex dungeon shit. And, of course, at first it's that whole, like, he's being gentle. You know, she's horrified because he looks disgusting. Um, you know, she's he's, like, trying to touch her and she's, like, crying. She's, like, don't stop. And then, of course, you know, this woman is a survivor. Let's just fucking say that first and fucking foremost. Mm-hmm. Because immediately she's, like, I don't know what the fuck this is happening, right? Like, I don't know who the fuck this is. But her instinct is like, well, clearly it seems like he wants to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. So maybe if I give him what he wants, 
like I can get out of here with my life which once again it's like not to put like really heavy real world shit on it but like unfortunately that's like a disgusting horrible thing that I'm that's too many women have had to experience and Mm -hmm. go through like literally being in a situation where it's like I absolutely am terrified I don't want to have sex with you but you might kill me if I don't Mm -hmm. so I just have to do this so that I can hopefully get out of here with my fucking life it like makes my skin crawl thinking about it um but then the big reveal is she pulls back. He's been wearing the sheet the whole time over most of his body. She pulls it back to try to, like, caress him and, I guess, like, touch his dick. And he's been castrated. So literally you just see this nub of where his dick used to be and his balls. And it's just, like, ugh. It's just, like, vile. Like, it literally makes me feel dirty and, like, not in a fun way. Um, So then, yeah, then it proceeds with the whole, like, he's – she's, like – takes a bottle breaks it tries to defend herself now castle mm. freak's angry so castle freak's gonna take what he wants honestly eerily too similar to many real world things which i think also may be why it's a little much for me even though it's like clearly like a fantasy story a dark dark fantasy story mm-hmm. but i think the action of like a gross man advancing on a woman and then when she's like scared and being like i don't want this being like mm-hmm. okay now i'm gonna get violent with you sexually violent is terrifying um so but yeah then there's obviously the visuals of like him then like puts his mouth on her titty and then pulls away and he's like ripped off her whole Ugh. fucking nipple it's and so it's just like it visceral. makes my boobs hurt it makes my boobs hurt thinking about it and then they pull away and i didn't i forgot well i i remembered the eating out thing and i was like so when they do the titty scene they pull away after that and they go to something else before they come back because then i was like please don't tell me i imagined it not because I want to see it, but because I'm going to be really fucking concerned if my disturbed-ass psyche invented some fucking crazy scene like that. I'm going to be really, really worried. And then they come back, and at this point, it's like the housemaid finds her. Or no. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is – that's after. Um, But yeah, we come back. I don't remember if someone stumbles upon it. doesn't matter. But like, yeah, he's like head between her thighs, quote-unquote, eating her out. Like, literally, like, eating – like – as if for dinner, like, yum yum, her pussy. And it's, it is, it is too much. And I I don't know, Stuart Gordon has a fucking thing for this shit, because I remember the first time I watched Reanimator, Mm -hmm. there is a scene in Reanimator, which if you've seen Reanimator, you know, and if you haven't, maybe this is a good heads up so you know what you're getting into. There's a scene in which a detached, decapitated head that's been reanimated has and is like controlling this headless body straps a naked barbara crampton down to a table like fully naked we see tits we see bad we see it all oh i literally can't even begin and then he the fucking headless body takes a decapitated head of this like old creepy dude that's been trying to like get with barbara crampton the whole film and puts the head between her thighs and then begins to eat her out as this severed head and she's just like screaming like she doesn't want it and it's just like one of those things where it's like this just feels like depraved for the sake of being depraved like I think I could give a little tiny bit more leeway to Castle Freak given the context of the story in Reanimator it literally just feels like we're doing it because like wouldn't that be a wild visual right like a decapitated head eating woman like yeah it's 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 shocking it makes you go like oh my god and like you know shrivel into yourself and it's just like I don't know stuff like that I don't know I'm someone personally that like really sexually depraved things like 
I don't think I'm, you know, unique in this. But, like, I don't know. They they make me curl into myself and not in a way where some horror will make me, like, squeamish. But then I'm like, oh, but it was really good. Um, more so where I'm like, I I hate that you put that image in my head. I I don't want to talk about it or see it again. And yeah, that's how I feel like I felt about that. Yeah, as a woman, that's a very visceral fear that we just have. Yeah. Know? Sexual violence is a very scary thing and it's a very real thing and so but i see i feel like movies where there's just like excessive rape for no reason like yeah i don't fuck with it i don't need to see it but because it is something that is so prevalent in society and something that you know all women are genuinely so afraid of i'm okay with it when it serves a purpose in the film and i feel like even though this really takes it to like another level of like both mentally disturbing and physically disturbing Mm-hmm. I think it it makes sense in the context of the film and I think it's a really great opportunity for them to have some really really great practical effects because that nipple getting taken off and then her just like fucking her titty with no skin on it it's just so it like hurts me it's like I feel like how men must feel when they watch like movies where a guy gets castrated or like kicked in the dick like that's mm-hmm. how I feel and I mean, and I also. I think, think getting that, kicked in the dick is a tiny bit yeah. less extreme well, than I think ripping my nipple off with your teeth. Men would probably disagree, but and I will <laughs> bare knuckle box these motherfuckers barefoot in a street of glass over that shit. Amazing, but yeah, I feel like this this scene is like the peak of the sexual violence and the most like disturbing moment in the film. And I feel like everything else that comes before it and after it is a lot tamer, and it, it always just reaches that line of like oh is he gonna rape this like 16 year old blind girl oh my god and then it never actually happens and i feel like if he had done if he had done to the sex worker what he if he had done to the the blind girl what he did to the sex worker i think it would have felt i don't know i don't want to say that because who the sex worker no, no, is just I get what valuable. You're saying, though. No, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I know why you stopped yourself. I think she's but... because it's, I think it's because she's a minor. That's my main thing. I, it's one of the things where it's like, I don't want it at all. Right. right? Like, it's disturbing to me in any context with any woman. It'll be disturbing to me if it was happen if he was doing it to a man. Yes. Like, I'd be like, no. Um, but I think what you're saying is like, you take something that's already bad, already disturbing, and then if they decided to, oh, let's up it even one worse, and now he's doing all that same shit to a woman that doesn't want it, and she's a minor. And she's... Yeah. She then at has, that point, it's like... Yeah. She can't see. She can't defend like, herself. I don't even know really, what the fuck yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it toes a very interesting line because of the fact that it's like, as I've stated, you know, and we've stated about other things, like, I don't want it, right? I don't like seeing it. I don't enjoy mm-hmm. seeing it. I could live my whole life without ever seeing another story that does shit like this. And I think I'd be fine. I, I really think that I would be completely fucking fine. Um, but given a context of a story like this, where like, you know, there's this creature that's been beaten its whole life, it doesn't understand love in any context. It doesn't understand familial love, you know, maternal love sexual love so when he's freed and now there's a family in the castle that's Mm -hmm. kind of like not really a great example of familial love and like you know he's seeing the dad like he's learning as you said for the first time so then like so you have these scenes of like okay well he sees something and it happens to be sexual so he's gonna try it himself Mm -hmm. but then you know because of the years of abuse and like you know he's triggered by anybody being probably mean to him 
in any capacity that he that sets him off so when she's like you know in, a, in an attempt to defend herself because she doesn't know what the fuck's going on breaks a glass bottle and tries to get away from him he takes that as like well now you've tried to hurt me so I'm gonna kill you and hurt you so like it it makes sense within the story but then mm-hmm. it's always I think I don't know that we're gonna really reach an answer or a conclusion on this but it always just like presents that question of like okay but like what is too far like which then of course bringing it up again like makes you very like you know morbidly I guess for lack of a better way of saying it curious about this remake because you're like this one scene which is kind of like the peak of it and it kind of happens condensed right there not that there isn't other shit that's creepy and disturbing or whatever but like this is the scene if they're saying that the remake is more depraved and disturbed Mm -hmm. uh, it's like I would maybe it's more depraved and disturbed in other ways but if it's more sexually depraved and disturbed as in like more horrific rape death things um i'm gonna you can keep it you can keep it i don't need it that's how i feel about it we will find out soon we will find out um but yeah i mean maybe we should move on from the scene now because it's just like you know we talked we did it we talked about the scene yeah i would like to erase it from my mind that is fine i think something that's really interesting about this movie is that i mean both times that i've seen it what i've taken away from it is you know the sexual nature of the film and Mm -hmm. the relationship and the mirroring of john and the freak but what's funny is that the main moral of the film that stuart gordon was trying to say with his with this movie and it's the same moral that he had for dolls was be a good parent teach your children the right way and be a good family and i think it i feel like it, that all that gets so overshadowed by all of the graphic violence but at the yeah. heart of the movie it's supposed to be a movie about a family and their grief and their trauma and like their struggle to kind of come back together as one unit what are your thoughts on the the drama end of this because I mean I know that we're both people who really enjoy a horror movie that is based in reality it's based around like real life dramas like hereditary or the rental um jesus christ but i i'm just curious did that storyline did you find that storyline boring or like caused slow pacing did you like that would you have preferred it to just be about a crazy man locked in a dungeon it's really interesting because normally i think as we've talked about like yeah i'm all for like stuff like that like they they talk about sometimes like when you're writing a horror movie specifically like it's really easy to be like, well, how can I just have the juiciest kills? And what's the scariest? And that's all good and grand. But they almost tell you, like, sometimes it's like, if you want to write a horror movie, pick just, like, a story in general you want to tell. Like, a story about, like, you know, it could be an an unplanned pregnancy, right? Like, that's the arc of the story. And then afterwards, you add in the horror. Mm -hmm. Okay, how do you make a story that already exists? Like, you know, a story about divorce. Or, like, you think about Midsummer. Okay, it's a breakup story. We talk about fucking Ari Aster all the goddamn time in this podcast. When's he gonna come on? Um... (laughs) But, you know, a, a breakup story, okay, and then you put in the layer of horror on top of that. So you have it, a stable, strong story. Mm-hmm. So the horror works. I think that's where a lot of – you get, like, you know, a bunch of horror that people disregard as shitty or just, like, throwaway slashers and maybe, you know, whatever. I'm still going to watch them. But because it's, like, they're not focused on an overarching story. Like, you know, they don't have a base for their story. Like, what am I trying to say? They're just like, no, I'm just trying to scare you. That's it. That's the, that's the whole story. And, you know, what? sometimes that's all you want. But – so with this one, it's interesting because – as you're saying, like, 
now having seen it twice, and I think I even got it the first time, like, you can see it is a story about, like, a family that's struggling, right? A man that's trying to put his family back together. There definitely are parallels, as you're talking about, between um, John and the castle freak. Um, but I don't know. It's part of me wishes... I think exactly what you said. You kind of kind of really summed it up already. Like, because then you have, like, it's very slow building, and... And not in an effective way for me a lot of the time. Like, in a way where I'm like, okay. I think it's, I don't know. You present this poster, like, this really great poster, as I said. And it's a movie called fucking Castle Freak. Part of me almost wishes where it's like, not that I don't want an overarching strong story. But I almost just wish it was just like, no, it's a crazy fucking story where they end up in a castle. I think that's what I love about dolls. Like, they're in a fucking big-ass castle type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of people. And they're being attacked by crazy dolls. And they still get that message across. Like, oh, you'll be spared if you, like... It would embrace your innocence and you're a nice person but like and once again it could be a factor of like the fact that I'm expecting one thing from Stuart Gordon and he gave me another this could all be my own biases that I'm bringing into this that are making it harder for me to like be like on board with it um but yeah usually I'm in favor of having an overarching story I think that like something like that could really work here I think it it just falters because of the fact that it's like it is a wholesome story you know, aside from, like, there are definitely even, there's even dark elements to the family story of, like, the son dying, glass in this daughter's eyes, and she's blind now, um, you know, fucking, you know, him not being faithful to his wife before, it, it appears before the accident, and then after the accident, like, you know, so all this shit, but then you have, like, yeah, these really dark, gothic, gruesome shit, that like when you're at the end you're like so did you guys get the message what did you take away from this I'm like what I took away from this is um my thighs are clen- like clenched together they will never open again um and I'm gonna go take a shower see you guys later um where I- I'm not probably sitting there being like oh yeah the message is you know love your family be good to people <laughs> it's like okay sure I don't know if yeah. you felt differently no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I like this film a lot. I think it works in a lot of ways. But I do also think that at times it feels kind of like two separate films. There is mm. a little bit of a divide because you'll have 15, 20 minutes of this like really like well acted family drama where Barbara Crampton is fucking giving it to her husband. She's telling him off. She's crying. She's so good. And then you have yeah. these like Italian cops and the Italian housekeeper who are speaking to each other in Italian with no subtitles and it just feels like this very small Italian drama and then you know out of the corner of her eye you see this like wrapped up freak like fucking running around in the shadows with his his like one inch ding dong and he's trying to like attack this little lady and you know it feels a little bit divided at times um but But even just hearing you talk about it, like, Mm -hmm. I think it just comes down to a lot of it is also always just going to end up with any genre, even if you love it or hate it, to taste. Because even hearing you describe it, like, oh, it it plays like this, like, this small, like, indie, I don't know, whatever the fuck you want to call it, like, Italian set drama, family drama. That alone would sell people. But then I think a lot of movies people like are movies that are like that, and then they throw in that one zany, wild element. Okay, you take that story, and then you throw in a castle freak. I mean, that's kind of what I was saying that they suggest you do, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I understand why this works for a lot of people, why it's a favorite, why people love it. It's just, I think for me, it's just like, in general, like, 
I don't know. I don't, and maybe you, you're going to call me out and tell me I'm wrong and it's possible. But like, I, I don't tend to be someone that I feel like I'm, I'm drawn the most to monster movies. Like if we're, I'm not talking about like werewolves or vampires. I'm talking right. about just like monsters. Okay. Um, so that in general, and then like the slow burn of it. And I think maybe once again, expectations. You go in knowing it's a Stuart Gordon. You go right. in and the film's called fucking Castle Freak. I know that's what Abby and Roberto were experiencing. They were like, I did not think it was going to be this dark. And I was like, well, you can thank Alex. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. is. It's very dark. It's very gritty. I feel like maybe if there had just been a little bit more freak, a little less castle, I would have. Mm, I feel like, yeah. if, you know, just blend it a little bit more. I would love, love to seen the process. I, I understand the point of having him be covered up for most of the film so that when you do get that final reveal near the end, it's like, oh, look at his face. His jaw is like ripped open and he's he's so horrifying. But I would have loved to just seen him the whole time and I would have loved to seen more interaction with him and the, and the cast before the last 15 minutes of the film. I mean, I'm just someone who wants, if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to call your movie Castle Freak and the premise is going to be about this like, poor guy who has been tortured his whole life who doesn't understand anything and he's gonna attack these people I want to see it the whole time but you know I, I I do respect what it is and that's also yeah I think about the fact that this was a movie made in four weeks where they just created the story in the castle together and like the script is I like I think the script is very good I think all the dialogue is very natural I think you know everything really works for the plot so you know I think it's a very well-made film it might not have held my attention 100% of the time but I mean yeah it just comes down to taste like you said um well anything that you wanted to bring up and talk about there are a few small things I mean obviously the sex worker scene was is the scene that there's no way we were going to talk about it um but some stuff that I think like there was one scene in particular that I was like I loved which is the scene I think it's right after the freak breaks out mm-hmm. and I think he's gone to the daughter's room and he's scared her and she's been like there's someone in the castle there's someone in the castle right so her dad um Jeffrey Combs goes and like he's he's going through the castle and he walks through this room this big open room living room space it's huge and it's just a bunch of furniture in there with like uh sheets thrown over it mm-hmm so he walks through, he walks through, and you're watching it, you're looking in the corner, so oh, is the freak going to pop out? No. Right as he gets to the room, the freak has been sitting, like holding his body in a chair position under yeah. a sheet, and he just stands and moves, and it's one of those scenes where like, I was like, oh my god, that's so good. Because it's like kind of older, an older movie, and a tiny bit ridiculous, like it didn't work for me in the sense of like, I didn't shriek, like I wasn't like, <gasps> But it's one of those scares where I'm like, if that was done today with something like The Invisible Man, Lee Winnell, like shit like that, it would be really effective, right? Like I, I would shriek, like not seeing that coming. But more so I was just like, you know what, that's really clever. I really like that. And then of course you get the iconic, like him in the fucking sheet the whole time, one eyeball revealed mm-hmm. through like a hole in it. He's like running around like a little ghosty the whole time. <laughs> so I just like, I love that scene. I just thought it was like, even though because it's one of those things where it's like you can watch a movie from the 80s now and it might not make you scream or jump just because of like how it's aged and how you know the level of fear we're at now but you can still have an appreciation for it and that was one of those scenes where I was like yeah I I really like that visual of him just like somehow holding his body like an armchair and the second Jeffrey Combs walks by he's like and I'm out I love that yeah that's great that's in the that's one of my favorite moments too especially because like I don't know my logic brain was like how does he know the shape of a chair 
he hasn't even had a chair in his dungeon. But good for you. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I love, how the fuck does he know? I love that everything in this movie, right? You're like, oh, the, anything you're going to question? Wait a minute. How does the castle freak know what a chair is? Honestly, how does he know what no, I think it's valid. make his body? It was so funny. Last night, they, I literally was wheezing. Abby Roberto literally kept saying, and I had to be like, you need to stop because I'm, I'm going to like throw up. I'm laughing so hard. And I don't know why it was so funny to me, but they kept being like, when they would go in the cell or like look in the cell at the castle freak or go in there afterwards, they were like, okay, but where's the shit and the piss? That's a good point. They were like, he's been living in there, never let out for years. Where does he shit and piss? Like, where is it? And I literally, for some reason, like I was like in the fucking sixth grade again, was like, like keeling over, like laughing about shit and piss. Like, I was like, why is that so funny to me? It's because I've been in quarantine for nearly a year and my brain is fucking, like, just mush. But, yeah, there's a bunch of shit I feel like that in this movie where, like, you can't think too hard about it. Otherwise, you're just going to, like, ruin it for yourself. But, yeah, like, where is he going to the bathroom? How does he know what a chair is? I'm also sure that because he has just lived in there his whole life, he smells horrible. And because she's blind and all of her senses are probably heightened, how does she not smell him from a mile away? Right, like there definitely should have been the scene where she wakes up and like she can't see him, but she can sense someone's there, and then immediately, you know, hands to the mouth and nose, like, oh my god, like a what dead is that body. stench? There's no fucking way, bro, that he like it's one of those things where it's like that would just even be a simple thing to add in, right? Like that's just like a, I feel like almost one of the first thoughts you have, like, okay, this dude, he looks this way for a reason because he was left in there, malnourished and beaten his whole life. He's chained up. He never leaves. So he's not bathing. I can't imagine that his like the fucking Duchess was going in there and giving him sponge baths. I doubt it. Like so, yeah. Like where like all that shit. It's just like you. We could go on. We could probably make a whole list if we wanted to. But it's just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's funny. I just need to ignore it. Otherwise, I'm just going to see all of the glaring plot holes. And I, ju- ruin I will the whole allow thing. it for the 1995 version, but I really do hope that the 2020 remake has addressed some of those issues. Uh, okay, if the 2020 remake. That's, it's like that's what I hope is more depraved I hope the more depraved thing is them just showing us a pile of his turds and not him <laughs> literally devouring a woman's vagina yeah like that's my hope for the 2020 remake Fingers I don't crossed. think that's a lot to ask um but I had a question for you yeah is <clears throat> because I know how you feel about this we both feel this way but especially this one what were your feelings about the kitty cat and his fate I w- yeah I was waiting for that um well, I forgot about it until I saw the cat again at the beginning of this movie, and I went, oh, no. I remember that he eats this fucking cat. And I, you know, I don't love it. I, you know, the moment that he takes the cat, because the cat runs into his cell and then right. tries to run out, and it has, like, it's kind of like a jail where, like, there's a little bit of an opening where they she would, you know, slide the tray through. And so the cat's right. trying to leave through it. And it gets, like, halfway out, and then he grabs it, and you can see the pain and struggle on this poor baby cat's face just trying to, like, break free. And if that had been it, I would have been, like, devastating, but I didn't have to see it. But they pull a fucking hereditary, like, beat drop on this shit because they go to a different scene. And then right. they cut back, and it just plops the dead cat in front of you. And I was like... And it's just, like, meaty and bloody, yeah. and I was it's like, why did pretty. we have to do that? And, of course... Uh, you know, after the movie, Greg was like, well, he ate pussy twice. And- oh, my God. <laughs> Greg, go sit in the corner. Uh, but. I mean, okay, to be fair, I guess though, it's foreshadowing. I don't know why I did that, because I made that same joke last night. <laughs> like, I kept being like, well, because Roberto and I were like, how is he, another plot hole. They were like, how is he so strong mm-hmm. enough 
after being literally malnourished for most of his life like she doesn't feed him a lot and she beats him and then she dies so he's definitely there unfed for so long yeah he eats one cat and then he can rip his chains out of the wall like and i was like well you guys that's the power of good pussy like (laughs) you eat good pussy and you get strong um so you know what greg i i really came for you right then but i made the same fucking joke so we're geniuses is what i'm trying to say yeah it's just Um, really subtle foreshadowing on uh their part I don't even think it's intentional. No, I don't Maybe, think so. Though. I don't even know. Maybe. I don't fucking know. Um, but another thing I wanted to bring up, another mm-hmm. scene that I really liked, and this is a good example of like, just to be clear, I want to clear my goddamn horror name. I'm not a pussy. No. All right? We've, we're using this word a lot today. I'm not a baby. Um, uh, there's a lot I can see on screen, even if it freaks me out that I'm like, that freaked the fuck out of me. I love that. Like, hereditary is a perfect example. We, Ari Aster, motherfucker, get out of our goddamn podcast. Um... But that head scene in that car, I won't get into it too mm. long because I don't want to go on a hereditary tangent. But, like, I remember literally watching that shit at, like, a matinee by myself, like, two of the people in the theater, and walking out at, just because of that scene alone and being, like, I was, like, I feel bad. I was having a perfect, like, nothing's going wrong in my life. I need to go home now and I need to lie down. Like, it, it was traumatizing to me. But when I walked away from it, I was, like, yeah, it was awful. But I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, and some people won't understand that. Like, they don't understand, like, why would you like coming out of a movie and feeling bad? But it's, like, a perfect, there's, like, a a thin line where, like, you step over it too far. And it's, like, yeah, I feel bad because, like, something, like, for me, I was not a fan. Sorry to offend anybody that was. I believe the film was called The Nightingale. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, that was one where I watched where I was, like, I don't ever think it was intended to necessarily be incredibly empowering or a feel-good movie, obviously at all. But that one, literally to me, when I walked out, I was like, yeah, I don't like it. I feel bad. And it feels like it tried to make me feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. Like It's a heavy movie. And I didn't enjoy it. And whereas like something like Hereditary, where it's like, oh, yeah, there's definitely some fucking heavy shit in there that's not meant to make you feel good. But like, I don't know. And maybe someone's like, I don't, that, how are they different? And I really can't articulate it well. But like, I think once again, as always, it comes down to taste, a lot of it. Well, um, I don't think it's a line. I think it's like a Venn diagram. Like you can mm. have your circle of like that's shit that I that like really upsets me, and then you have your circle of things that you really enjoy, and then there's a middle part where they can be the same thing. Yeah, you know, no, like there that's are multiple fair. parts in Hereditary, especially at the end. A lot of the Tony Collette stuff in the last 15, 20 minutes, like disturbed me so deeply. But because it was so creative and unique and like horrifying, I fucking loved it. So. Yeah, they can coexist 100%. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just you have to be that kind of person who can, like, find pleasure in the, like, horror of it all. You know, if you're right. someone that doesn't like horror, that's just all graphic and upsetting to you. And you don't have that element. I personally feel like my life would be so boring if I didn't love horror and find <laughs> all of these amazing elements in it. You know what I think the difference is? Yeah. I think the difference is, like, and I think it's for horror a lot of people is why they love it. It's, like, those things when people go on roller coasters, right? Like, the fun mm-hmm. of going on a roller coaster is feeling, like, oh, my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and then you don't. And there's that adrenaline of having survived, in a sense, even though you really were never in danger. And it's the same thing with going to horror films. Like, you go, and it's the whole fun is getting scared, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because then you walk out, and you're like, yeah, I'm safe. And you can even show me the most disturbing thing, but so much of it is, like, even if it's, like, the most depraved, I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Like, shit. You walk out afterwards and you're like, that will never happen to me. 
even if it exists what happened in a reality like it could happen in theory you just like know that it's not going to happen to you or like the probability is one in two billion like three thousand billion whatever the fuck you want to say so like you can walk out and be like yeah that fucked me up but I still have that adrenaline that fun adrenaline rush of like yeah you got me good you scared me so good and I think especially as horror fans we seek that more and more because like sometimes shit gets stagnant like shit that might scare someone that isn't a horror fan for us we're like okay yeah where you almost need to push the limits I think when it's stuff where it's like within horror and without and out of horror and I know that we're talking about sexual stuff a lot but that's the truth is like especially as women when you go and you watch something where it's like oh it's a movie and like a huge plot point is the person getting raped and like especially the nightingale because like the nightingale and once again mm. it people like that movie and it worked for that those people and that's fine but I think of something like revenge as we've talked about before I think revenge is an incredible movie mm-hmm. and once again some people might not, might not like revenge and that's also valid but for me it's because like yeah okay the the huge plot point of that movie is she gets raped and she survives them trying to kill her and like disposing her body and then this bitch comes back no, I don't even call her a bitch you know I just throw that word around but this queen this goddess comes back and fucking annihilates them. It's so like good. It's so, like, to me, I felt empowered, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And well, obviously yeah. not because I'm like, oh, I want to get raped or something horrendous like mm-hmm. that. But, like, because of that, where it's like, when you watch me like The Nightingale, it's like, you walk out and, yeah, you can be like, well, obviously that didn't happen to me. It's just a movie. But there's much more of a sense of, like, yeah, but that really is the reality. Like, I actually mm-hmm. do, if I walk on the street by myself at night, have to go over my head like okay the worst case scenario that could happen to me is someone captures me and rapes me and whatever like that's just what it is where like it's almost too close to reality where I'm like I don't want it I don't want to see it it's not it's not thrilling for me it's not fun for me unless the turn is something like a a rape revenge which once again I know that some people don't like them at all and I think that's completely valid Mm -hmm. and that's completely fine and I don't necessarily seek them out like, I haven't, I've seen, like, maybe less than five, I'm sure, rape revenge films. Um, and I used revenge because that's just the most recent one I've watched. And I really, it really, really worked for me. But, yeah, like, having that be, like, yeah, she faced something that a lot of women face that's, like, horrendous. I, we, we need to stop talking about it because it's, like, going to traumatize me. But then coming back and, like, being, like, yeah, maybe this isn't the reality of what would happen in real life, unfortunately. But that's the point where it gets good. I'm like, let me live out that fantasy of her being able to put those sick pieces of fucking shit in the ground where they belong, annihilating them. Give me that. Yeah, I feel like, and it comes back to, like, enjoying something that is so devastating to watch. I feel like in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, it's a kind of catharsis of, like, getting to experience something that you were genuinely afraid of having to deal with in your real life. And whenever I mm. see movies like like Revenge or like I Spit on Your Grave, like I don't enjoy watching the rape scenes. Those are horrible. They're difficult to watch. But because, you mm-hmm. know, rape, you know, serial killers, murder, those are things that, you know, home invasion specifically are things that like I'm terrified of. In in that yeah. way, I do enjoy watching movies about them because I get to see the experience that I'm so afraid of and I get to see how people handle it and how they escape it. And so I get to be like, I get to come out of it being like, you can overcome it even if it does happen you can you can still survive and you know this is a Mm. way that you could handle it like i feel like it's like gives you tips to like fucking destroy these men that try to hurt you gives you tips i just want as much in my arsenal as i can that's why i watch and read and listen to podcasts about serial killers i know so much about serial killers because if i ever interact with one i want to have as much fucking base knowledge as i can so that i can survive 
And I feel like that's why a lot of people enjoy that kind of horror because it is like a release of like this anxiety that they have because they get to experience it, but not personally, you know? But I think you bring up a good point. I think maybe what I'm trying to – no, because everything you're saying is also valid because you're talking about, like, oh, like, shit, like, home invasion. That happens to people. That's a very real oh, yeah. thing. Mm. Like, but, like, clearly it can work and it can be scary in a movie and you can enjoy that movie. I think almost what I maybe am failing to articulate is, like, it comes back to, once again to just, like, a female experience. Mm-hmm. Of being like, okay, you take something like that, like, it's like, oh, that's very real, that could really happen to me. And then it's almost, you're, like, narrowing the pool down, where, like, something like home invasion, that could be literally anyone, you know what I'm saying? Like, that could be man, woman, non-gender identifying, whatever, any race, whatever, any age, anyone. It's an awful thing, I don't want it to happen to anyone, but it could happen to anyone. Whereas then you get down to a lot of these, like, rape films, not at all saying that people that are, you know, men or non-identifying can't get raped because they can and they do god awful but obviously there's definitely more heavy-handed toward like female rape Mm -hmm. is what gets shown a lot so then of course when i see shit like that i'm like oh yeah a reminder of how like i personally am more at risk for that yeah that's like so i think it's just like narrowing something down that's like yeah it's a really scary real world thing that maybe i'm even afraid of and then you keep narrowing it down to it's like oh and it's specific to the fact that i just happen to be a woman that i'm like the chances of it happening to me skyrocket are, are like too much for me sometimes. No, that's valid. That's very valid. Anywho, that was a fucking really heavy tangent. <laughs> Whatever. We were talking about a fucking dead cat. We were like, let's go on this tangent about rape revenge. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. But I literally, I didn't get to the thing I was going to talk about, which is the scene that I liked because I brought up that other stuff of like the sexual depravity and shit like that. That I'm like, oh, I don't want to see it. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I can handle shit that's like visually disturbing and stuff that I don't know that isn't that because like there's a scene when the freak is getting his power from eating the cat or whatever and he wants to break out but his hands won't come through the cuffs that he's like chained to so the freak takes his thumb in his mouth and like essentially starts to rip the flesh rip the finger off just enough so he can like essentially break the thumb inward and suck his hand out through the cuff and they show you him doing it and once again, Abby Roberto, like, you know, like, disturbed, which is so fun. It's so fun watching people you're with get so disturbed by something. Um, but he sucks it out. And once again, I thought that was a really effective scene because it's like, you know, it, it's gruesome. It's scary. It's meant to make your stomach turn. But I don't know. It doesn't make me feel, like, violated, I guess, is what the yeah, word I'm looking for. I do wish and, like, that there was more of that. And it made me think, of course, of, like, another film that I love, you know, Gerald's, Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game? Like, I knew again. it. Literally, I told them when they watched the scene, I was like, you guys are not going to make it through Gerald's Game when we watch it. Because uh, if you can't handle this, no ma'am, no ma'am. Gerald's um, Game is one of my favorite movies Gerald's of the last Game was 10 years. such, oh my God, not to go on another fucking tangent, but this is what the show is about. Um, when I saw Gerald's Game, it was recommended to me by a boy that I was hanging out with. <sighs> Good times. Um... But I was like, I had seen it on Netflix. And at this point, there's definitely, and as always, there's always some shitty Netflix horror movies, right? Like, that you're like, yeah, I'm never watching that. Or I will one night when I, like, literally just need to put something mind-numbing on. Mm -hmm. So I think that was before I had put together fully who Mike Flanagan was quite yet. Like, you know, not stringing together. Like, oh, that film is also him. Um, I watched it. And, of course, I knew the premise was, like, this woman, like, you know, her and her husband were going to fuck and they were using handcuffs. So this boy telling me to watch it, I was like, um, <laughs> what? did you know? Literally, so I was like, you know, nervous because I'm like, he's going to want to talk about it afterward. So like literally I was having like this true moment of like, 
I have to talk to this boy about sex? What? Um, but I watched it so fucking good. Like, the way that they take this simple premise, like this, you know, Stephen King adaptation, which nobody on this fucking earth does a Stephen King adaptation like Mike Flanagan. I will say that. I will take it to my grave. Um, I think he should do all of them. Like, literally nobody else. Sorry, nobody else. <laughs> um, but this story that, like, you know, may never have been an adaptation just because it's like, okay, the whole story takes place, this woman, like, in her head, like, right. narrating to herself. Like, it works as a short story. Does it work on film? It just goes to show his fucking ability and his craft that, like, not only does it work, it's so fucking good. It's Ugh, a gut punch I, we, of a film. It is. And, like, there's so many moments that are a gut punch. Yeah. Because like, it's, so it many. has really amazing, it has great acting, it has really amazing practical effects, but it also has you know a story inside it that is so like hard to digest and that yeah. like i really like viscerally like connected with and but and then there's also like a very scary element to it with with the man and that is just a movie that i'm like jaw dropped every time i watch it and then the last like five minutes i'm just like sobbing my eyes out every time i watch it i love it so much but yeah great hand fucking shit in that movie <laughs> Yeah, and then not to keep bringing it up, but, you know, like, fuck it. Like, once again, I'm not going to spoil anybody for anyone who wants to watch Gerald's game. Um, But, yeah, like, I know the the over underlying, I should say, really, storyline that that comes to light in that movie, like, Mm -hmm. is something that is really hard. And, you know, I I won't get into it, but, like, once again, I think it goes back to, okay, yeah, and I enjoyed that movie, so what makes it different from other things? I think, once again, it just comes back to being visceral as well. Mm -hmm. Like, having to very much in your face see it for any prolonged period of time is like why like why are you trying to like legitimately like bring me like trauma where like it's a different thing entirely once again not that I'm like oh yeah I I love that in my movie but like where it can work effectively for a story it's powerful and be powerful and be Mm -hmm. moving and be yeah yeah, oh my god it's heavy and it sticks with you and I feel bad afterward but like I was never forced to like viscerally see something i think well, that's it's, also a, yeah it's also not exploitative in any way and i think that's a right. big part of it i feel like some of the the graphic stuff in castle freak could be viewed as exploitative because it is like you know him mimicking sex acts but also like being really violent whereas in gerald's game it's you know very raw it's very real it's very emotional instead of being exploitative like a lot of rape scenes can be i mean you even think about something like and like I feel like silly films or campy films think that they can get away with it more because oh, yeah. it is like them doing it for like, oh my god, what? That's crazy! Like we talked about Reanimator or even something like fucking the end of Basket Case, like oh, yeah, shit where it's like, and I love Basket Case. I think it's so fucking ridiculous and so fun and so funny. I literally was sobbing the last time I watched. It. I was laughing so fucking hard, and we're gonna do it on this podcast eventually, so I won't get into it. But yeah, then like the literally last moment where you're like, why? No, 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 please tell me why. Like, you, there was no necessity to add that. And you just did it just for, like, literally a thousand fucking percent for shock. Mm-hmm. For shock. So, it's yeah. I've, as, I've, as I've stated before, and I will probably continue to state if it ever gets brought up again, I don't need it. I don't want it. I think I can safely say that if no other film was ever made doing that kind of shit... I don't think we'd be worse off. I'll tell you that. I think we'd be completely fine. We may even be better as a society. Um, But then the only other thing that I was going to throw in is, I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning when they're exploring the uh, castle, Mm -hmm. um, 
Jeffrey Combs and his blind daughter, they walk into a room that's like filled with toys, mm-hmm. and it very much made me think of dolls. Like we being a- in a big castle, they open up this room and there's like teddy bears or rocking horse, like these marionette type puppets. I was like, oh, I don't know if it's him referencing dolls, but like it very much feels like it. And they're like hanging from the ceiling too. Yeah. Honestly, low-key, because Charles Band is, like, so obsessed with dolls, I would not be surprised if those were just, like, items he had in the castle that they were like, let's put these in the scene. I wouldn't be surprised if they were leftover shit from dolls. Yeah, it's all very possible. I I think it's a nice little, like, homage, like, oh, look at the dolls. Right. Yeah. So is there any other big points or anything you want to bring up about the film? I don't think so. I mean, I feel like we touched on all the main stuff. I would be very happy to go to our cue and slay. Well, should I ask the first question? Go for it, babe. Um, do you have a favorite line from this movie? Okay, so I, whenever I watch these movies, I go into it trying to, you know, keep my ear out for any line that really like sticks out to me. Um, right. Like in that Jack Frost one where it was just like the woman in the background being like, "Not anymore." <laughs> I look for that. Right. Um. And because I feel like so much of this movie is, especially with all of the spe- the people who speak, it's very grounded in reality. It's about, you know, family trauma. It's all very, you know, straightforward. There's nothing really, like, campy or, like, goofy or, like, over the top. So the my favorite line is just anytime the freak tried to speak because he was just like, Jesus, Alex. What? It's just so fucking dumb. What? I just like when he mumbled. Yeah, I loved. There's a near, the, the <laughs> last scene. It's a very scene, you answer. The it's last like scene laugh. where he's he has the blind girl in his lair and he's trying to communicate with her, but he's just like because he doesn't have language because he's never spoken to anybody, and I think it's so like weird but also made me laugh but it was like sad it was also greg's favorite because we discussed it after and he was like what's your favorite line is it just when the freak mumbles and i was like yes it is the way that he knew that's what i'm saying alex it's a very you answer thank you well i like to be unique and original so that's my answer you like to be predictable is what i'm hearing oh shut up (laughs) what's your favorite line okay this was hard because i literally didn't have anything like i was like i don't know at least i had as you're saying like nothing stands out so the, my third line is less so like a line that I was like, I love that line. And more so a line that like made me react, mm-hmm. which was after um, they find the um, dead sex worker, which like through a whole fucking series of events, she's like the sister of one of these Italian cops, but then also like the baby mama of one of them. I don't know. It's a whole last thing. But um, Jeffrey Combs was being interrogated because he was the last person that she was seen with. And, of course, like, this stirred up drama with fucking Barbara Crampton because she's like, okay, you brought this woman here to fuck her? You're trying to mend this man? Like, a whole thing. But essentially, like, in the heat of the moment when they're, like, interrogating him, it just is, like, very, like, oh, all right. Because, you know, they're accusing him of, like, you know, what did you do? Blah, blah, And he's like, I didn't kill her. I fucked her, okay? And I literally was like, oh. I'm not trying okay. to – I'm not just saying this to – to say it but I fully knew that's what you were gonna say the whole time so I guess I'm not the only one that's predictable no 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 thousand percent thousand percent how the fuck did you know that wasn't no 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 (laughs) because that's a good line and I knew that's what you were gonna say I didn't kill her I just fucked her 100% I promise you I don't understand how you knew though is it because because there's no other line options is it because there's no other line options it's because it's one of the better lines and also it's a very you line to like what the fuck 
No, I swear to God, I I should have said it okay, before you said it to like really prove my point, but that's okay. I I don't want to say it's fascinating or interesting to me. I just don't understand how a line "I didn't kill her, I fucked her," okay, is a very me line. Because it's vulgar. It's in your face. Okay, fine. Yep, you got me. Yeah, I just wanted an explanation. You're right. That's fine. Right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um, Anywho. What is your favorite kill? My favorite kill? I mean, Jesus. There aren't a whole lot of deaths in no. the movie. Um, I'm trying to go through my head, like, what was, who was killed? I mean, literally four people, maybe. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a cat. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I don't know the cat. I think the cat. <gasps> How dare I'm sorry. you? I'm sorry. The, the literally the only other death that even stands out is the pussy eating. Yeah. And like I don't personally want to pick that one. Okay, I'll pick it. Great. Because it's the it's the most visually interesting because the other ones are like, you know, there's one where like a guy gets his like face bitten and like that's good. That's fun prosthetics, but like. It didn't go as far yeah. as I wanted it to go, so I feel like the only kill in the movie that really took it practically, effect, practical effects-wise, where I really wanted it to go, was the scene with the sex worker, so that, and it's the one that really stands out for me, so that's the one I'm going to go with. I think I would have been able to pick it. It's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, the, the nipple ripping off is mm. not fun. It's really like, holy shit. I think if there was no eating out scene that mm. followed that like really like pushes it like how much further can we push it yeah. I think if that never happened and it was just like the titty ripping and then some other sort of death or like we just find her dead I think that would be my pick it's the pussy eating that is too much for me I get it I totally get it um all right great mm-hmm. um so Alex who would be your partner in crime in this movie I went back and forth on this because there are three people in this film that I love, and it, they're all women, and they're all strong women in their own ways. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had a hard time picking between them because I love all of them. But I'm going to go with my little Italian lady, whose name is Agnes, and she is the housekeeper and the cook. And I think she's just a delightful woman who has great stories, and I would do anything to just cook a meal with her. You know, sit down at the table, drink some cappuccino, and just talk. And that's what I would want to do. Very nice. Um, I think that I would go, once again, it's a hard pick. Because it's just like everyone's very normal for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I, my partner in crime would be Rebecca, which is the daughter, played by mm-hmm. Jessica Dollarhide. It's the only film I believe that she's done. Um, because one, I love her style. There's mm-hmm. a scene where she's walking around in this like red skirt, like white t-shirt and like flannel and like little white shoes. And I kept saying out loud, I was like, I love her outfit. Wait, I love her outfit. Wait, why is she so fashionable? I love her outfit. And then like when they're at like the funeral or there's some time later where she's like in this very sleek black outfit, like very high fashion. I was like, oh my God. So I would love to get some fashion tips from her, but also just because like, you know, she's probably the closest to my age. So mm-hmm. we'd get along and you know she survives so we love a survivor um and also like her mother barbara crampton at one point like she's clearly lonely like her mother literally says at one point when she's like there's someone in the castle she's like you're projecting you're projecting because you want there to be someone in the castle and it's like well no um that's a little fucking surprise anya's in the castle it's me i'm the new castle freak and i'm the chair devour your pussy i will just be your friend um 
I'm the chair. Yeah, literally. Um, so I think she would probably be my partner in crime. I think we would have some fun, some fun, you know, American girl adventures in the castle. I want that for us. Yeah, she was one of my picks. And the fact that she is more stylish and she's visually impaired and then she, like, she's more stylish than me. It, it's, you know, it's bad for, for my self-esteem. Listen, she might have more money than us. She lives in a fucking castle now. I guess. So she true. has the money to buy new clothes. Okay, fair enough. I don't have the money to buy new clothes, but I continuously do it. So, you know. That's fair. Um, all right. Would you survive? Oh, lordy. Because you would be living in that castle based on what you told okay. us. So would you so in the, coexist? So in the context, wait, I feel like there needs to be context. So in the context of this, am I like part of a family that has moved into the castle? Yeah, sure. Um, would I survive? Would I survive? Yes, I think I would because I'm fucking beautiful. So like obviously the freak would want me um, and then inevitably attack me because I don't want the freak. Um, but... I don't know. I just believe in my skills to beat his fucking scrawny naked ass. Like, I would just kick him in his castrated nub and throw him off the roof, but not like Jeffrey Combs because I wouldn't go with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I believe that, like, I would definitely be a hot fucking commodity in that castle, babe. For sure. For sure as he's sure. Um, But I would take his ass down. I would fucking pummel that fucking freak i would teach that motherfucker what consent is as i pushed him to his death that's my my hot take nice so i'm surviving this one good shocker uh do you want to hear the most alex answer in the world absolutely is it that you're the freak no wow (laughs) as if you haven't said shit like that don't fucking turn it on me bitch um no my answer is that of course i would survive because he would see me and go "Eh," and then he would walk away okay First of all, you're going to make me <laughs> fucking come for your throat on this goddamn podcast. First of all, bitch. No, no, we don't have to get into Everybody listening, that. let me fine. give you some fucking facts right now. Alex is fucking gorgeous. I've had uh, other fucking people, I've hung out with her and put her on my fucking Snapchat story, and I'm getting messages, who the fuck is this beautiful woman? I'm not even making this shit up. So I don't want to hear this shit, that you're not good enough for the freak. But also, even to just bring myself down, because obviously I was sucking myself off as I love to do, the freak will fuck anything. Thank you. <laughs> So, regardless of how beautiful we are, it doesn't matter. He will take anything. anything. My aesthetic has and will always be that of a potato, and I love that about myself. So... Shut up. Literally, stop. Christine calls me her little patat. That is my name. But... Oh, that's a cute nickname, but you in no way resemble to me or have ever resembled to me a potato. Talk to my college friends, man. You are a beautiful fucking rose. Wow. I'm sorry, college friends, no tea, no shade at you. I will bare knuckle box you barefoot in a street full of glass over Alex being beautiful and not a potato. Okay, but I still think I would survive. Amazing. Love to hear cool. that. We'll be besties with our girl Rebecca and have yeah. some crazy American girl adventures in the castle, as I said. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So, finally, and I'm sure we might end up having a very similar answer in some context. If you could change one thing about this movie, what would it be? I actually think we're going to have different things because okay. I'm, I'm pretty confident I know where you're going to go with it. And right, okay. while I would be fine with it, it, nothing in this film bothered me to a level where I'm like, I don't like that. Like, it, 
is upsetting to watch but like in the context of the film I think it works and it's creative and it's visually interesting so I'm not mad at any of it what I would change is I want more practical effects I want more of that thumb fucking breaking I want more of him eating someone's face I just want I feel like if you have a film where you are you know releasing it direct to video and you don't really have to worry about a ratings guideline and you can kind of do whatever you want and you can have the cut that you want then you throw everything at the wall you fucking make it bloody and gory and vicious and i just i just wish it like pushed it a little bit further so i'm excited for the 2020 to do that right well i think you'll be surprised because i think my answer is pretty similar oh okay because obviously like i've already gone over beat it like a fucking dead horse babe the goddamn stupid pussy scene um we're like yeah i i'm not a i'm not living and loving for it um but I think kind of something else that I brought up earlier is just, like, you have a fucking movie called Castle Freak. Give me more of the fucking Castle Freak. Like, I just want some fucking crazy, goddamn ridiculous horror shit of this freaky-ass freak in this castle fucking people up. So, yeah, give me more practical effects. Give me more deaths. The fact that when we fucking talked about Favorite Kill, it was, like, two fucking things came to mind. And that was it. Yeah. Like, literally, that was it. Because, like, the other big death is them falling off the roof and that they literally just, like, hit the ground and that's it. Mm -hmm. So, like, definitely kind of very similar to you. Like, amp up the freak. Like, that's why I'm – I don't watch a Castle Freak movie for, like, you know, the family hijinks. I watch a Castle Freak movie for the fucking freak in the castle. So, yeah. Once again, I mean, we are lucky enough to – have a remake that's already made that we can check out and maybe it will suffice some of our our wants um very excited to see it very excited to possibly discuss it for a tangential terror so possibly stay tuned but also don't hold us to it anybody because we don't owe you bitches shit (laughs) um but yeah that's that's kind of how i'm feeling about it as well if i were to change something about it i agree amazing well what do you give it for a rating my dear I have to give it a stoner, bro. We're going two. I mean. That's lower than your letterbox rating was. I know, but you like, t- I feel like I'm notorious, on, I'm notorious on here for like doing, what'd you say? Did I do the opposite of Taurus Trap? Did I make you dislike it? No, 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 no. I feel like it's worth it because like I get on here and I don't, I think it's like maybe one time that I've ever just given something a solid rating. I'm always like, it's in between this and this. Right. Where I'm just like, I need to just pick sometimes. Like, I can't just keep doing the in-between shit. So if I had to pick one way, it's definitely Stoner Bra. I'm going to for it. Um, I can appreciate it. I know that's a classic for a lot of people. Um, I know that, like, the scene that we talked so much about is what makes this movie for a lot of people. And you know what? I'm There are worse things, I guess, that have been put on screen I don't, I don't know. Anywho, um, but yeah, that's where I stand on it. I personally, it's one of those things where it's like, would I recommend it? I don't know because I've seen it twice now and it's, I feel like there's a lot of horror where I'm like, you should see everything once, right? You know, especially because of this notorious scene that we're talking about that's, you know, widely known, I'm sure to many, a Stuart Gordon fan and many a horror fan, but I don't know, overall, would I recommend it? Probably not. It's not one of my favorites. So that's where I stand on it. Okay, fair enough. Um, it did, you know, lose a little bit of a rating for me the second time around, probably just because I knew the big things that were coming and they weren't, like, so visceral to me this time around because I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still gave it a solid three stars, dumb jock. I really appreciate 
the film for what it is. I think that, you know, there's things that I would have liked to have seen happen, but I don't think that there's really anything about it that I dislike. So I enjoy it. I say check it out if, you know, if you're a horror lover, you want to watch some Stuart Gordon films, you want to see mm. some cool practical effects. I mean, I, I recommend it. I mean, obviously I chose it for this episode. I like it. I'm a fan. Right. I, I don't love, I don't like, I'm not gushing over it. So three stars. Yeah. I mean, like, and once again, we could, there's shit on here that we are going to love that people that listen might watch and think that we're fucking crazy. Oh, and I can tell you right now. I have a movie planned for us soon that I almost did this oh, month God. that I'm going to fully give five stars and most people are going to give one star and I don't give a shit. So have we talked about it? You know which one. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss. I'm pretty sure I know which one and that's it's like the a one big that one. Like, I feel like we almost have to... What? Oh, what, oh, yes. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I think, yeah, so you might watch this and you might fucking feel the same. You might feel nothing. You might love it. You know, as always, it's just our recommendation. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. Um, but I think, does that wrap it up for Castle Freak? I think that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Oh, well, it has been a pleasure, Alex, as always, discussing and getting into randomly heavy tangents with you. Yeah, such a, happy such fucking a February. It's my birthday month. I'm living. This is kind of a perfect movie maybe for some people for February because in a weird way it is about love yeah it is a lot of different and kinds an inability of to um show it I guess hmm. to health in a healthy manner express your love for somebody um <laughs> but yeah so that is Stuart Gordon's 1995 Castle Freak um thank you all for listening so much maybe look out for a tangential terror we don't know maybe um and as always keep it creepy bye bye thank you for joining us for another episode of the girls who cried be horror we want as always to thank those who've helped us get here without them we would just be screaming about horror to each other instead of in a podcast form so first a big thank you to bridget garrity for creating our amazing artwork that we love Please feel free to follow her and check out all of her other artwork on her Instagram at Bridget underscore Elizabeth XO. Support her. We love her. Literally, Anya's sister. Um, a huge thank you also to Nathan Graham, who is our musically talented friend and created our intro music. Please support him on his Instagram at Official Blue Caprice and check out all of his original music on Spotify. And lastly, thank you to my guy, Greg Vellante, for editing all of our episodes every month so we don't sound too stupid. Uh, feel free to check him out on Twitter at Vellante Views. And if you are so inclined and you, for some reason, like me, and you want to follow me on social media, I don't post very often. I am much more of a lurker, but please feel free. Uh, if you want to check out an occasional photo of my cats, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Branley. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, please do. I love any form of validation. My Twitter is at agarity15. My Instagram is at G-E-E-W-A-Y, the number four, and then ever. So that's G-Way forever. And if you want to keep up with everything I'm watching, you can follow me on Letterboxd at agarity15, or you can just search my name and I should be the only Anya Garrity that pops up. Uh, I give my hot takes on a lot of horror movies there, as well as non-horror cinema as well. And if you just can't bear the thought of social media accounts that don't have both of our presence, 
fear not. You can follow the Girls Who Cried Be Horror on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror and Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH. You can also email us all your thoughts, opinions, and darkest secrets at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Leaving written reviews really helps us out and helps the podcast out a lot, and it only takes a minute. So please do us this kindness, and in return, you will own a piece of our souls forever. <laughs> You'll become a horcrux. So thank you so much, y'all, and until next time, keep it creepy. Ooh. The girls who cried be horror.